All right, well, uh, thanks for coming back on, Fargo. Yeah, of course. And I guess, like, we were going to talk about a few books of poetry, but before we started, I wanted to ask you, like, how your show went last month. Yeah, um, it went really well. So uh, for context, um, I am currently uh, in the process of touring a full-length solo theater show that I made um, at the end of my, like, undergrad in college. Um, So I performed it in uh, April, March of last year, the first time, and then I put it up again here in Phoenix last month. Um, and yeah, it went really well. It was like, it was interesting because it was basically me trying to figure out what it would be like to just independently like produce the show um, without like, uh, you know, an institution to like back it or or anything like that. If I was just like, in a random city somewhere and said like, I want to do the show again. What would that process be like? Um, so that was really interesting. Um, and I didn't, uh, did end up getting a grant from the state of Arizona to do it, which was really helpful just cause you know, it was expensive. Um, but yeah, it went, uh, it went well. I think it did like what I wanted it to do for this run, which was just to get ready for like a larger tour, hopefully, um, and get like a nice video of the show and just see what it's like to transport it. Because it's kind of like... It's... um, The set and design of the show is like... At first, it seems like it would be kind of difficult to transport. um, Because the only real set piece in the performance is... Like a huge pile of dirt. So like for this last performance, we used three quarters of a ton of uh, like fill dirt. That we like got from like a sand and gravel supplier here and like loaded into this like theater uh like rehearsal hall that i had rented um which is wild um but i love it uh so and it worked like it worked pretty well this setup and like cleanup wasn't awful so it seems like it's it's possible to do so i'm excited to see what it's like in like different cities and different places you have any idea like uh when you're going to be taking it on the road yeah right now i've got two more uh, like dates set. Um, so next month I'll be in Austin, uh, at the outsider fest, which is like a queer multimedia festival. Um, and then in March I'll be back in Arizona doing it in Prescott, uh, at like this, um, solo festival there, uh, at Prescott college. So I've got those two sets so far and I like have spent some time recently, like putting together, kind of a little packet of materials like um a friend of mine wrote a really great um and generous like review of the show and i've got the like a nice quality video uh and like you know a document saying like here's all the tech stuff we'll need so i have like a little packet now that i'm ready to start like sending to places that i want to go so definitely if you are listening and you want to bring um a weird queer decolonial palestinian show to wherever you are get at me um and we can make it happen yeah that sounds really that sounds really cool i hope you uh, get, get to go to some more places with that yeah me too i'm really i think um yeah it'll be weird because especially because like you know now that i'm i'm like not in college uh and like this is essentially what i want the rest of my life to look like is just like creating performances and like taking them places so it's weird to now just be like like trying to figure out what that 
process is like because I honestly have no idea. Like I'm just making all this stuff up as I go along. So it's fun to just see what will happen. Like I think it will be good. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll figure it out as we go. But yeah. Yeah, I know like the logistics of that I think are going to be <laughs> really interesting to, to hear about as you uh, as you learn about that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's a show that, um, I mean, it's definitely like a lot to perform. Um, but I think it's, it's like engaging every time I revisit it. Like I, I f- it's nice to like feel still pretty confident that it's something that I'm like proud of and think is useful. Um, so I think it's got like, it's got some life and I'm, I'm still excited right now to just like take it to new audiences and, and have new conversations around it. You know, that is, that is really cool. Um, I like, I guess like with, with that show and in the, some of the poetry you're about, like, do you see any links between the show and like some of the poetry you're about to talk about maybe? Yes, actually. Um, yeah, I've thought about this like a little bit too. So, um, I guess <laughs> at this point, perhaps I should say what the, show is um yeah, I guess so, yeah, uh, probably <laughs> yeah, yeah probably that'd be useful um this is actually good too because i it's like it's very it's not a very like elevator pitch like formatable show so i need to work on figuring out the like best way to sort of succinctly introduce it and but basically figured out what's going to happen yet yeah exactly um so the uh the solo show i made is um it uh Essentially, the project of the show or the goal of the show is to engage audiences in unlearning uh, the criminality that gets layered onto Palestinian bodies. Um, And so in order to do that, the show looks at um, my own life and experiences and then my dad's life and experiences. Um, My dad was uh, a Palestinian immigrant to the United States. uh, And then in 2008, he was indicted for mortgage fraud um, and now uh, lives not in the country. Uh, and then the third person in the show is um, Sirhan Sirhan, who was a Palestinian immigrant who killed uh, Robert Kennedy in 1968. Um, and the show is called My Father, My Martyr, and Me, Postcolonial Instructions for Loving the Palestinian Body. So basically, it uses the three of us as central figures to sort of um, interrogate the various levels of criminalness that are like assumed by um, different people uh, about Palestinians, and that I I see also in like part of the show is that that criminality gets in the way of anyone being able to critically, generously, fully love any of us. So one of the theses theses of the show is like in order to love. Uh, one of the three of us, you have to be able to love all three of us, right? And that requires a lot of contextualization and a lot of uh, complexity and being willing to um, make a political and um, historical understanding of any any of us, um, like a central part of, of a relationship with us. So um, as part of the show, it's... it's um, like made in this method that I ended up creating in order to like write and, and create it that I called unarchaeology. Um, so for whatever reason, like when I was writing the show, I'd been thinking a lot about archaeology um, and the history of it as like very much a colonial institution and something that, uh, you know, like a lot of sciences pretends uh, at objectivity, but is always engaged in 
digging things up and, and narrating them for particular purposes uh, and particular ideologies. And usually archaeology is in the service of power too, um, like poetry, like lots of things. Um, so I was trying to think of like the way that that also um, comes through in performance uh, or in storytelling, right? The way that we uh, uh, dig up people or stories or places and, you know, tell their stories in ways that serve particular ideologies. Um, and I was trying to figure out a way, like, what would the opposite of that be, right? What would be a performance uh, style or a poetics or uh, a narrative style be that that respects things that are dead or gone, that leaves them back in the ground or reburies them rather than sort of digging up and making them into what you want them to be. Um, so on archaeology for me is like to take something that's been dug up and narrated. So something like uh, my dad, right, narrated very popularly through like indictment text from, uh, from, you know, the Orange County District Court, right? So part of the show is like taking my dad's indictment text and trying to reinsert the context of who he is as a person uh, historically and politically uh, and like very personally too. And to say, like, in order to actually understand who this is as a person and be in a relationship with them, then it requires looking past and beyond, like, this simplified narrative of, oh, my dad, like, um, you know, my dad and a bunch of other, like, Arab dudes stole, you know, a bunch of money from, like, developers or whatever. Um, and the same thing with Sirhan Sirhan, right? Like, he gets narrated very particularly historically as, like, this angry, crazy, like, terrorist, right? So in many ways... Uh, the concept of terrorist um, was invented in order to reckon with someone like Sirhan Sirhan, especially the way that like it is particularly racialized and understood now in the United States, right? Like terrorists are not usually just anyone, right? Like, and that's a whole discourse that I find really problematic. Um, but right, like, in order to actually love and understand um, Palestinians, and by extension, like Sirhan Sirhan, or vice versa. Right, it requires understanding like who he was in a in a much deeper level, on a much deeper level, uh, and in a much deeper way. So, unarchaeology is like like putting context back in and forcing it back in to narratives of, that have been super simplified. Um, and then for me, that connection ties most uh, most clearly, perhaps to uh, to Salman Sharif's book, Look, because um, I think that's also something that she is very much doing in a lot of this those poems and in the project as a whole is like um, taking the simplified uh, language and reduced language of like the Department of Defense dictionary and forcing context and different meanings back into that language and into the people that it has um, taken up and narrated. Um, so, you know, I think whether I knew it or not, like reading that book when it came out was, was influential in, in um, the way that I ended up writing and creating the show. Um, so those are that's my that's my like first thought um that's kind of was not succinct was not like a short elevator pitch description of the show but um that is i think the the clearest connection is in the project of look and and how it um it takes people that have been narrated and it forces context back in so that we're not able to just simply use them in in favor of like um in favor of power or of existing structures yeah i think the the goal is mostly we're going to center around Salma Sharif's book, Look. And, but mm -hmm. I think that book like, um, really reminded us of, of several, several other books. Uh, I, I, after, after rereading it, I went back because Look starts with um, a quote by 
from Muriel, Muriel Rookheiser's book, um, mm-hmm. The Life of Poetry, which I remember, <laughs> looking back now, when I first read um, Look, I actually went and did the same thing and read Muriel Rookheiser's <laughs> The Life of Poetry. Yeah, yeah. So now, like, three years later, I've done it again. Nice. Yeah, but I think it kind of sets out, like, the tone of the of Look. Um, the quote is by Rookheiser is that uh, Solmaz uses is, uh, during the war, we felt the silence in the policy of the governments of English-speaking countries. That policy was to win the war first and work out the meanings afterward. The result, of course, was that meaning meanings were lost. And, yeah, I guess with with what you're saying, uh, I guess I was reminded both of uh, the, start, the start of Look Like That and also a quote from uh, one of Sean Bonney's uh, notes on militant poetics where he mm-hmm. something I've been thinking a lot about re- lately where he says uh, uh, there is in any case no more authentic communication than the corporate state's power to refuse you food shelter and life workfare and zero hour contracts are the poetics of capital mm. yeah and I guess like that, that that well maybe Sharif went in a slightly different direction using um like a Department of Defense dictionary for various military terms. Yeah. But you see the same, but it's this, it's a very similar kind of logic there where that is the, you know, quote unquote, authentic poetry of capital, the dictionary that she's citing from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think, um, yeah, I think, I think look kind of focuses perhaps um, on the poetics of the state, right? Which is wrapped up in capital too. And I think that comes through in, in some of the poems and look, and also some of her uh, more recent poetry too, is like um, the relationship between state poetics, like the department of defense dictionary and the poetics of, of capital, right. And the ways that those are intertwined and working, working in tandem. Um, and uh, yeah, that's something definitely too, that like, um, came came through or became a a concern of like the the show and the performance that i made too was like thinking about the ways that my me and my family and um you know someone like sirhan sirhan are are also like so wrapped up in not just existing as bodies that are marked as like dangerous or enemies by the state but also marked as um uh, workers or as like not not um not worthy of consideration by capital too um and uh it's it's like a relationship that i think that the the form of poetry that look is working in is really good at clarifying and like uh articulating is the relationship between um those like oppressive poetics and the bodies that are affected by them. So I think, for me, actually, Look is a, a really, really useful model of, like, uh, taking back language uh, or, like, creating a poetics that's directly in response to the poetics of the state and of capital um, in a way that, like, just formally is, like, really... Every time I read it, I'm just like, this is, this is by itself, like, this is such a, a clear and powerful way of, like, taking... It's weird, like you're 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 taking language that was taken, right, and like using it in order to uh, ar- clarify and and perhaps subvert like the relationship that did the taking, um, which I think is fascinating and and really complicated. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I, we got to mention a, a poem you sent me recently, which is uh, that does what you were talking about was um, Salmaj Sharif's poem. Now what? But, yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I love that poem. It's, it's really good. But really quick before we get there, I, I just want to like one of the uh, passages, I think, that kind of gets at what you're saying with regard to um, her navigating the state was there's a at the very at the end of one of her poems, there's a conversation with her psychiatrist where she says yeah where she says where the psychiatrist asks so you feel dangerous she said yes so you feel like a threat yes why was i so surprised to hear it yeah yeah and that's yeah i think i guess like what i'm getting at with that is like uh, what you're talking about with uh sirhan sirhan uh, kind of reminds me of in the way the the terrorist has been constructed by you know the the west for the way the terrorist has been constructed by the West, it really reminds me of that that passage, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another thing, too, that, that makes me think of Sirhan Sirhan is that um, for many years now, his... Um, he, he, so he's still in prison. He's never been paroled. Um, and uh, for many years now, he and his lawyer's, like, argument has been that he was hypnotized into killing Bobby Kennedy. Um and one of the things I ended up thinking about uh, in writing the show, too, was like, well, I mean, even even beyond a literal reading of like, like that defense, right? Like, what are the ways that something like living through uh, a, a, a really traumatic and violent occupation, right? I mean, Sirhan, Sirhan's brother was like killed by an army vehicle that like swerved out of the way and, and ran him over. He... Um, you know, he, he, he watched people be, like, bombed while waiting for the bus. He saw someone that he was friends with, like, a shopkeeper killed by a bomb, right? And that's a, that's a context that is, like, informing who he is. And then he comes to America, uh, a place that, like, does not have the capacity to uh, categorize who he or his family is. Um, and so I was thinking about, like, what are the ways that something like that might act as a sort of hypnotics, right? Like, what are the hypnotics of occupation, uh, or of colonization, and how how does that also like um, create in someone the conditions that might lead to like violence as an act of expression or an act of resistance, um, which I think also for me comes through in in that that bit from uh, from the Salmaz, uh poem, right? Like, you know, if you get narrated as a threat often enough, you start to believe it, right? And if you get told often enough that you are uh, dangerous, that you are like, um, you know, you only exist in terms of your like anger or your rage or your violence, like you start to believe it. Um, and that actually that also connects to um, the, uh, 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 makes me think of the poem from Zena's book, um, one of the ones I sent you last night. Yeah, uh, that's a theory of birds, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that's the, yeah, that's the book. But the one that it connects to for me is is called a uh, violence, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, so the last the last four lines of that poem are uh, in a high school history class. White children raised their eyebrows when I raised my voice. I don't know what they thought I was capable of. I wish I was more capable of it. Um, which is to me like a really really fascinating and complicated uh framing of that relationship between the narration of like yourself and and the way that you do or don't fit it i think that's fascinating 
Yeah, and all these poems too to get to get back to I guess uh, Sirhan Sirhan like you know on 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 the one hand too like there's always that there's there's always that state power that that remains whether it's in in, in Solmaz's work you know I, I'm thinking of uh, like um, just the there's like a passage about you know watching black black water you know quote mop up mm-hmm. bad guys on mm-hmm. youtube and there's like the the omnipresence of state power whether it's through the hypnotism whether it's through through the the language or whether it's through you know just i guess we, what we're talking about here the how the how these narratives eventually uh, make their way into into your head i guess yeah absolutely um and I think, like, yeah, the way that that, um, the way to, I think, look to really articulates, like, the way that that state framing starts to work its way into, like, intimate interpersonal relationships. Um, and, uh, and I think that that comes through, too, in, um, in that Zayn al-Sus poem. Um, and just, like, and, and that's something that, uh, was important to me in, in, like, the beginning of writing, um the show too was like this isn't it's not just like um these these sort of larger or abstract ways of thinking about like oh it's probably bad that like um the the state narrates us in these particular ways but it it's like this means something for the way that i relate to like everyone to anyone um and the way that like sirhan sirhan relates to any other human being or or so maz does or zena like um these, you know, these larger narratives or master narratives are, like, present in all sorts of relationships that we have with uh, just other people, right, who have also, like, whether they consciously realize it or not, like, grown up or been um, exposed to, like, the narratives that are defining both of us and how we should, like, be in relationship to each other. Yeah, and, like, another book that that deals with the interpersonal relationships there and the, and the way this all, this affects them is, like, um, Athena Ferroxad's book, uh, White Blight. And yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot in there about, um, the way, you know, so Athena is, uh, an Iranian immigrant who, uh, lives in Sweden now and wrote the book is originally written in Swedish. And a lot, there's a lot in there about her mother, her father, her brother, her uncle talking about saying it's, it, the book takes place as like a series of, I want to say statements or maybe a dialogue, between all mm. the family members and there are all these statements in there like for instance the, the one would be like my mother said all families have their stories but for them to emerge requires someone with a particular will to disfigure mm. yeah and then again my mother said you distort the injury with your unfortunate lie there is a muteness that cannot be translated and yeah that's so good yeah it's a really good book well and, too it's like it's like no, i on. mean it, what i love in that first line um like that in order to emerge those stories uh need someone with a will to disfigure is like you know all the all the stories about um you know those intimate relationships like like family relationships when they become public stories right it's for particular purposes um and like when so the 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 decision of when a family's like narrative is allowed to remain intimate and personal and you know to like some extent private and when it is like required to be public in order for 
like a public to to be told about that family and like the people in that family uh or the people that family comes from right that's just that's a decision too that is like very much informed by by power and by the state and by um you know what narratives uh power needs at the moment and i think like in solmaz's book there's in look there's i think the i think it's the third section where uh it's dealing with her uncle and Mm -hmm. in in the same way uh, athena feroxad has one of the major uh i want to say characters in the book is is her uncle who has not uh, emigrated from iran and so Mm. he's talking back and you know, questioning, like, what right do you, and this is something Solmaz is also concerned with, you know, what right do I have to tell these stories? And, you know, like, for, like he says things like, for, for instance, that I think get to the omnipresence of this, of, of the war, of, the, of colonialism. For instance, like a good statement from him would be, uh, my uncle said, is there a puddle where war has not washed its bloody hands? Mm. And, yeah. And I guess, you know, we see Solmaz not navigating that in the third section of Look. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that third section is, I think it's, it's so, um, it's so, it's so affecting for me personally, because it's like, it's, you know, if the first sections have really been, um, articulating the relationship between, um, or the ways that like these state narratives get in the way of loving each other, um, or, you know, having any kind of authentic relationship with each other, which I think is true. It's true of uh, capital's poetics. It's true of racism's poetics. It's true of, like, you know, all of these these oppressive um, narratives and, and forms of telling stories about each other. The third section is, like, an attempt to write, like, through those or against those and back towards um, a more authentic and genuine relationship with, with someone. And um, I think that is a, a project of, of poetry or of writing or of art making, of performance that I find really like um, important uh, and, and really important like personally uh, and also like a really um, something that I think that uh, art and poetry and writing can do um, is, is to like, you know, take the tools that have been used to um, keep us apart and try and um act against them in the way that in a way that brings us back together um so i think that is just like it's a really remarkable way to end the book um or not end all the way but like have as the last section of the book yeah because the there are two like long sections and then maybe Mm -hmm. two short sections which are the beginning and end section Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess too, what, what that reminds me of is like you were saying earlier, the Solma, the, the direction Solmas has been going since look and like with a poem now, what, which ends with, you know, revolution. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think, um, I think it's very much like it's operating in, uh, that poem. And, uh, also one of my other favorites from her is, um, the master's house, um, and both of them are are uh, still operating in that that like that mode of trying to um, articulate all of the context that is informing like these small things, right? So like in now what I think it's so the act of of looking at like the um, the like garlic butter and understanding that it's connected to 
to workers and um i think i like i love the the line uh, a relief of workers of sickles fields of soy uh and the connection to then the historical context of who who she is and who like her people are you know we were tanners pushed to the edge of the city um and uh and i think what what those poems are are doing for me is 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 saying that like uh in in forcing poetry to um to be something that takes into consideration um like the way that larger forces and larger stories and larger histories are present in our everyday in like um all of these small relationships and and uh given that like what else is there to do except then revolution simple right i mean because in order to fully enjoy a tub of garlic butter we need to be able to enjoy it knowing that the people who made it were able to make it like freely and uh you know without being coerced by the system of capital and the system of history that has like in the present moment forced them to make that vat of garlic butter that then somaz can uh can eat in a hotel yeah and i i think for me the the, one of the key lines from that poem is when she says, you know, my materialist, my, my materialist mind, I can't shake it. And, yeah. Yeah. And that like, that kind of remind, reminded me a bit of, um, uh, Sean Bonney did a quote of uh, Brecht toward at the end of one of the militant notes on militant poetic essays. And the, the quote is basically, you know, we need to contain everything because capitalism is trying to destroy everything. Right. Yeah. And I think like, throughout Solmaz's poems here it's it's pretty it's pretty clear like there's always that very materialist concern everything even even though it's so focused on the language it, it does so with the awareness of the of the material conditions that are, have brought it about or it's trying to bring about yeah absolutely like i think maybe a good a good like one of the things that's interesting to me about was interesting to me about the third section was the use of the um the quotes from Wikipedia to describe yeah. the wars in it, and that that re- that really you know like I'll I'll just read one of the passages she quotes from from Wikipedia. Uh, Operation Ramadan was an offensive in the Iran Iraq War that it was launched by Iran in July 1982 in Basra and featured the use of, hum- of human wave attacks in one of the largest land battles since World War II. Aftermath, the operation was the first of many disastrous offensives which cost thousands of lives on both sides. This one in general boosted the casualty, casualty limit up to 80,000 killed, 200,000 wounded, and 45,000 captured. In retrospect, the Iranians lacked effective command and control air support and logistics to sustain an attack in the first place. Uh, Saddam Hussein offered several ceasefire attempts in the following years, none of which were accepted by the revolutionary regime. And like what, I, what I'm trying to get at there is we see the, the military language even mirrored on Wikipedia, well, unsurprisingly yeah. mirrored on Wikipedia, even as it's describing like literally hundreds of thousands of, of deaths and injuries. Yeah. I love what's great about that too, is at the end, there's like the, um, the uh what's it called like the superscript kind of link citation oh, yeah, thing I read that yeah and uh one is it's just the number six and then one is dead link which i think is is um like finding um the the ways that like meaning echoes through just those small like 
places. Um, and it really, but you know what? Sorry to interrupt, but it really no, yeah, captured to me like to the the sort of links between the military jargon and the way academic uh, citational practices work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, and I mean, I think the 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 line. Um, the lines that, like, for me, just really crystallize, like, so much of what we've been talking about in this book are, um, you know, in, in that third section, daily I sit with the language they've made of our language to neutralize the capability of low-dollar value items like you. Um, and, like, just that, that uh, and, and some of those, that, like, so neutralize capability and low-dollar value items are in the, the like capitalized letters that sort of in the book indicate that those are terms from the, um, the department of defense dictionary of military and associated terms. And I think like that is just such, um, such a like clear way of just capturing all of the, the things we've kind of been talking about, like the ways that the ways that that language uh, is created specific, like it's 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 a poetics that is created in order to uh, like allow for further violence uh, and just like coming back to uh, you know like low dollar value items and then like you right it, it brings it back to like that's a that's a human you know person uh, that is only understood by state powers in terms of low dollar value. Um, uh, or as a casualty, right? Um, so I think that, I mean, that that is, uh, those are lines that, like, have just remained with me for a long time. Um, and actually, I uh, <laughs> I did um, a speech and debate in college, uh, as well as, like, high school. Um, but so, I, I for one year, uh, I ended up, like, creating a 10-minute a performance based uh, of uh, the poems from Look. So like a lot of these these lines are just like stuck stuck in my brain, you know, like memorized still, um, which is wild. Uh, and that one that is one that just like particularly, um, I I remember uh, and like keep with me a lot is just like that articulation of what language can do and can be made to do, um, and the effect that it has on on like people and our relationships to each other. Yeah, and, and that gets back to, I think, the the Muriel Rukeyser quote that uh, Solmaz started with, to some extent, the way mm -hmm. the meanings were, it's, they attempted to work out the meanings afterward, but they were ultimately lost, and now we're in this kind of place that I think that quote captures. Um, yeah, but, I wonder yeah. about that. I mean, oh, I no, wonder, like, I wonder, too, because in some ways, to me, it seems like the meanings... I mean, I, I think that uh, something like um, war operations uh, is a form of meaning-making, right? And I think that, like, what's interesting is to think that, like, I, I don't know if in the context of working out... I don't think that working out meanings afterwards is necessarily, like, a genuine uh, 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 thing that, like, U.S. powers think or thought. I think that, you know the act of violence um, that they're engaged in is like the meaning-making, right? Because it comes with meaning-making regardless. Uh, it, it, it requires 
uh, creating meaning of certain bodies in relationship to the United States uh, or in relationship to like weapons or uh, casualties. And so I think it's, it's interesting to think that actually it's not that the meanings were lost. It's just that afterwards, all that was left was the meaning that was made by United States violence. And there was no meaning that was like able to be spoken back against that or in opposition to it because the, they had, you know, because the United States has, uh, stolen like the ability to narrate uh and um has taken like ownership of the language of war in such like overwhelming ways that it winds up in wikipedia articles so the only meaning that gets left is what was made by uh the violence of the state yeah and i think uh we see that in the in the very last poem uh, titled drone when you know, I'd say the mean, like one of the major meanings of um, the Iraq War, especially in America, in the American context, like for people living in America, is you know what uh, Solmas describes when she writes, "I say hello, NSA, when I place a call somewhere, a file details my my sexual habits. Some tribunal may read it all back to me." And like that to me, is, you know, again, that was a meaning made by the the war itself, by you know the the passage and of the Patriot Act and the maintenance of, you know, in the way the NSA has, has operated as a result of the Iraq war or uh, as a pretext because of the Iraq war. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, what were you going to say? No, I just said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I, I definitely feel like, you know, war, war does make meanings and therefore, you know, there, you can't do it afterwards no matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that the, look in a lot of ways documents the way in which the war uh, guys are saying war makes meanings that there's a dictionary for it effectively yeah absolutely like there's literally a dictionary um <laughs> this is literal <laughs> yeah uh and i think that's really important right is like uh is is that this is it's not like uh an imagined or symbolic like project like this is very much taking literal text that like has literal uh, and very real consequences for like human bodies, and then you know pointing those out. Um, and I really appreciate about that that about look as opposed to I think a lot of other um, poetry that is that tries to reckon with like um, with war or violence in the same way is that it's very it's like rejecting like making the poem a sort of imagined or like. Uh, um, outside of reality like space um it's very much like this is real literal language from a real literal country that has done like real literal violence to other real literal people which i really appreciate and actually for me that's that's a little bit of a connection to like michigan um yeah that's also something <laughs> yeah that's something that i that i really really appreciate about borzutsky's work in um in lake michigan especially but also uh he's got this other great book that i've read um the performance of becoming human um and i what i appreciate about both of them is that like uh they are they are very much like um books that are devoted to um cataloging and uh communicating through like the sort of affective language of poetry like the violence that states uh uh create 
um and they're like and and particular states like real actual places you know like lake michigan i think is is like a really remarkable project because of how grounded it is like how specific uh and like unafraid to like name uh a place and like the systems of violence that happen in that place. Yeah. And I think very specifically like a good, well, well, a good poem uh, as an example of what we're talking about is, you know, in terms of war making meanings is there's a poem where it's effectively just him, him doing similes, but saying that, you know, these, these acts yeah. of um, police brutality, state violence are like themselves. So I'll yeah. read a couple the police shooting boys are like police shooting boys and the Nazis burning Jews are like the Nazis burning Jews and the police protecting Nazis are like the police protecting Nazis. And then, you know, we go, we go, we go on and on, but you know, that, well, first off, that just reminded me of a poem from on paint bucket that, uh, uh, Lynette Riemann had wrote called, uh, mm. was it somewhere a poet uses prison as a metaphor. And yes. Yeah. It's, yes. It's speaking out against that kind of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, were, were you going to say something there? Well, no, I just think like, I, I think that's, that too is one of my favorite poems in the book. Um, and also one of my favorite uh, paint bucket poems because like there, because of like how, how prone, like so much, so many contemporary poetics are to, to doing that. Right. And I think like what I love about both of those is that they are pointing out the, the danger and violence in like appropriating a meaning and trying to turn it into something else, right? That applies to, like, um, something that it doesn't, right? Like, and it's it's important, I think, both of, the, both of those uh, uh, poems are kind of pointing out that it's important to be specific and intentional with, like, what we are connecting with language. Um, so, I mean, I, the, and I think, like, even just specifically, like, that Borzutsky poem, it just, like, this whole book is like in a it, it operates in like this this at a pace and um like style that just like doesn't ever let up uh which i i really appreciate um and it just like they're all kind of those really direct lines that just like build and accumulate on on each other um and and i i appreciate like how how that refuses like um something like a volta right in a poem or something like like an act of catharsis right there's no like there's no resolution of violence there's no like um setting it aside in order to make it mean something that it doesn't it just like stays in this this descriptive present tense mode and like asks you to continue witnessing like what that does yeah and i think mm, one of the, like one of the problems that i think uh, especially american uh, 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 especially American poets have is, uh, and I think Look is a book that I mean, Look, yeah, Look is a book that investigates this. Is the the alienation caused by all of this? And I think a lot of the grasping for metaphors is is kind of the is is kind of a result of that of the, mm. the alienation from the language that that occurs in the United States. Because you know, to go back to that Sean Bonney quote, you know the the, the poetics of capitalism is the is you know the eviction not yeah not whatever you or i could write and right yeah and i think uh, look really grapples with that by trying to you know again go go to the dictionary yeah yeah for sure reminds me too of like um 
one of the lines in the master's house uh the sharif poem is like to um me to eye the master's bone china to pour diuretic in his coffee and think this erosive to the state um which i love because it's very it's like it feels like the sort of the like um the like liberal like saying drumpf right instead of like trump it's like ah ha ha like i've i've done this little like small symbolic gesture and i think that i'm acting against state power but like you're not you know and and this focus on like these small symbolic acts of like like cheekiness as as a as as the end of uh like action right or of of resistance or whatever that means yeah i mean like to make it to make it more clear too like you know the the donald trump thing that's like you know that started on uh like john oliver's hbo tv show like that's a product yeah. of the like <laughs> of me a multi a million dollar yeah, multimedia conglomerate <laughs> it's not, not resistance and you know like it, and i mean it's very similar to the way in which the dictionary Soma's quotes from or pulls from is uh, a product of you know the military industrial complex it's it's not exactly yeah. the same thing but they're yeah they're, they're definitely part of the same system i mean we wouldn't have right. that dictionary if the u.s media industrial complex didn't bang the drum for the iraq war yeah one other i mean in in look two there's a part where uh she says like um one of my students asks what is fascism uh and her response is the sonnet which is um which i think for, was like when people read it that a lot of poets were like whoa like that's like so controversial um but i love it because it's like it's a it's a really like clear and simple way of tying uh institutions and traditions of poetry to um to the same kind of uh formalistic description and like uh confinement of the 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 dictionary like the department of defense dictionary yeah and you know i think uh Solmaz's book, and I think uh, a theory of birds from what the what you've sent of me sent me of it, and like Lake Michigan, there's there's a certain concern with and even uh, Muriel Rukeyser and you know Sean Bonney especially like mm-hmm. these are all like there's a I'd say a definite upsurge right now in thinking through what fascism means in in poetry. Yeah, yeah. In uh, there's a in uh, Lake Michigan, uh, one of the the bits that i love is in uh scene five he says um and i pray that when the sun comes up i will have another body after plato threw the poets out of the republic some were sent to countries where they kill you and others were sent to countries where they couldn't give a fuck about the stupid shit poets have to say um and i think like i don't know like there's a sense i, I think all of the the things we've kind of been talking about, one thing that is is present in a lot of them is like a sense of the limitations of poetry, right? I mean, a poem is, no matter what, right? A poem is not going to, like, um, stop an eviction, right? A poem is not going to, like, stop a drone strike. Um, so I think all of these books are are trying to grapple with, like, well, what can poetry actually, like, do in relation to these oppressive powers. Um, and they all have, like, I think, like, different answers, um, but all, like, valuable and useful ones for thinking about, like, what can, uh, uh, what can we do with language 
um, that can act against other language uh, or, or like perhaps lead to, to action that people take. Right. Yeah. And I think like, you know, especially with, with like Michigan, you know, that that's a book that, you know, starts with, if I'm remembering correctly, a poem, a poem about um, the protests uh, about the, the protests after, well, this is a whole story, but like it, it, after the uh, video of Laquan McDonald, I believe's uh, murder by yeah. Chicago police became public, became public more than a year after it, it occurred. And of course, part of the story there is uh, Rahm Emanuel was the mayor of Chicago was suppressing the footage because he didn't want to lose an upcoming election that was yeah. you know, being hotly contested. And, you know, like, like we're saying here, it, it, like you were just saying, um, there's throughout that book, uh, there's a focus on, you know, the, protest basically mm-hmm. and yeah uh, absolutely oh yeah go on were you gonna sorry no 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 um but i think like um yeah and i think that's a really good connection too is like um and what i appreciate about about the way like michigan is is like written it reminds me a lot of um like the way that it, it made me feel reading it reminded me of like <laughs> like Arto, um and like the idea of like a theater or poetics of cruelty, right? Which is just like a very um, sense-based and like effective way of like trying to get your body to move to do something. And so I think what's really useful about um, Lake Michigan is that it, it kind of, the effect for me reading it is that it like puts your body in this like particular mode, which is like um, anger and like a need to, to like, act to like do something and then it it doesn't ever like let you escape that right it doesn't like uh, have a moment where there's like grace or beauty that you can like escape into right the effect of the book is like just placing you in this uh this like urgent the sense of urgency and like immediacy and then like leaving you there the entire time um so to me it it's it's like a book that is it feels as though it is um demanding action in a way that like a lot of poems that kind of are framed as though they are demanding action like don't feel right they don't they don't feel as though they're in they're using the same tools that that he's using in a way that like i think is really really effective um and it reminds me of um like thinking about uh poetry as um as like a a call to do something Right. I mean, I think of Darin Tatur, um, the the Palestinian poet who was uh, imprisoned by the state of Israel for writing a poem and like posting it on Facebook. Uh, that very much is like an example of a poem that um, is kind of a threat to the state because the poem uh, it, it's it's uh, resist my people, resist them, right? Which is directly asking for and like encouraging and providing like nourishment for. Uh, very real embodied resistance to like very real particular things um so to me like that is an example of a form of poetry that is is using like poetics and poetic language to uh inspire and ask for a certain like form of action from a particular people too right it's not like it's not like this universal like um kind of uh uh attempt to just to just get people generally to like do something general it's like uh it's of a specific time and of a specific place and of a specific 
uh, group of people. Um, so I think that that's what's also useful about Lake Michigan is that it's specific, right? It's like, this is something that the uh, city of Chicago, right? And the institutions in the city of Chicago uh, are, is like permitting and creating is like this feeling of endless violence that I'm placing you into with these poems. So I have given you like clearly articulated like agents and clearly articulated structures that are responsible for this feeling. And so it's, it's like, it's not, you know, a a vagary. It's not like something that's, that's just this broad, like, oh, well, you know, they, they like do this or someone does this. Like it, it allows you to have like an avenue for action and like, um, you know, whatever resistance is like, uh, needed or, 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 uh, uh, available. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're also seeing as, you know, fascism rises globally, you know, more and more poets who speak out, you know, end up being imprisoned. You know, we see it in, I think probably the biggest example right now is, is in India where you mm-hmm. know, Mar- like Marxist poets, like Armand Butcher's name, I think it's Varovaro Ro, you know, it was in prison in the eighties under state repression and yet again, uh, yeah. imprisoned. But like something else I think is worth talking about too, is the, the form these books take like the specific form of the poem so many of them are i would say very like if as sharif said if if the sonnet is fascism then these poems are very much struggling against traditional rules of poetry yeah like michigan it reads as a series of statements at times um you know look again it it, it's very it's very ambitious formally Uh, muriel rookheiser's the life of poetry is uh, not a book of poetry and another book we were going to talk about like leslie kaplan's excess the factory mm-hmm. again very very much like prose but still still very much a poem at the same time and another good one was you know athena farabsad's white blight which is i was kind of describing it as a dialogue but it's more like a series of statements by members of her family that with the links between them being more like the links of you know associational poetry and you know i think there's a whole thing to be said about the way in which uh, trying to manifest these uh poems that you know are for resistance or for you know overthrowing the existing system you know trying to break free of various poetic traditions yeah absolutely um yeah i mean i think like i think this Uh, connects with yeah what were you gonna say yeah i was gonna say too and i mean you you're doing a a one-person show right which is which you know is again a a sort it's definitely i would say a kind of poetry but it's not uh exactly what i think the mfa shoots for right definitely i mean and i was thinking about um i was thinking about too like the way that that people will talk about um poetry as like inherently uh unstable or inherently like revolutionary in whatever way um and and just like the way that i mean that that understanding of poetry is really to me is like mistaking it with like the institutions and traditions of poetry which are very much not like not revolutionary or unstable in any way right i mean it's poetry as like a mode of expression is taken up by people who do not want it to be like um 
to be unstable or revolutionary or liberatory in any way. Um, and so, and I think the same thing is true in like a lot of, in, in uh, performance, right? I mean, I think that uh, performance generally, like I do believe that it has a lot of uh, potential to, to like um, build newer worlds and like allow us to put our bodies inside those worlds and see what it would feel like. But I don't think that all performance does that because like the institutions that create performance are not invested in that, right? They're invested in uh, capital or in, um, you know, like a, a sort of neoliberal understanding of what it means to like uh, create new worlds. Um, so I do think that like we have to uh, invest in finding whatever it is about um, poetry or about uh, performance for me, like whatever it is that does offer those moments of like rupture uh, or of clarification or of, uh, uh, of world making. Um, and they're not going to be in the places that we've been told that they're going to be in, right? They're not going to be in necessarily like a form or, or not going to be in like, uh, you know, the, the types of poetry that we've been taught to, to study and emulate or the types of performance that is lifted up and like given awards and uh, makes, you know, millions of dollars on Broadway. Right. I, I don't think that those are places that like are uh, ones that we're going to find tactics um, and for like um, for action uh, and for organizing and for um, inspiring uh, any kind of revolution. Yeah, and I mean, to, to, as Solmaz as Solmaz wrote, um, this is fascism. Dinner party by dinner party, waltz by waltz. And you know that when I first read this book, that was one of the lines I was like, "Whoa, yeah, this is yeah, <laughs> this is a uh, like it rem uh, man." It reminded me of a, of an old essay from the forties. I'm going to blank on the author's name, but like it was it's basically an author. At, it was for Harper's, I think. Like the author was just like at a dinner party, and they were just identifying. Like they were just like picking out various archetypes of guests and being like, this person could go fascist. This person will be a fascist. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And I don't yeah. remember who wrote it either. Yeah, I'm blanking. Um, I'm sure someone will dig it up for us. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good connection too. Um, and it is, I mean, it is about, I think like also allowing us to uh, expand where we find fascism which I think is really great too about the Borzutsky book is that like um, it's, it's in uh, the relationship we have to like um, so many different institutions and so many different places and so many different like people, right? It's not like, it's not something abstract. It's not something only historical. It's something that like uh, exists and gets in our, our language and our like bodies too. Like, Oh my God, the, that book is so, um, devoted to cataloging like violence against like like the body right i mean and it's so it's so like uh explicit and um unrelenting about that and to the same thing especially in in the book that he wrote before that the performance of becoming human right it's very much a catalog of like sorry i think either you or i cut out for a second there no, you're good. I was just um, saying, like, um, you were just. I think I think I lost you at um, violence. They were cataloging violence against then. Yeah, like just against like the body, right? I mean, in a, in a, such a a descriptive and like explicit and unrelenting way, uh, and something he does he does a uh, um, even more. I think in in 
the performance of becoming human, but like in a way that I think, uh, again, a lot of poetry sort of avoids or, or doesn't talk about, but I think too, like that's really useful is to say like, again, the, the things that I'm talking about are not like things that we should just, uh, understand as, as like ideas for poems, but are like literally, you know, result in people's like, like blood being spilled or, or, and bodies being like, like, um, you know, subjected to extreme pain and violence. Uh, so, and the, and the way that the language mirrors, um, mirrors that and refuses then to like, like step away from it, I think is really valuable for illuminating the connections between the things that we think of as like poem topics and the very real consequences they have in the world. In terms of like, uh, sorry, in terms of like, um, documenting the like or going in a direction that things aren't like of a topic that isn't considered uh, appropriate for poetry like i think of leslie kaplan's access the factory which you know chronicles i'd say the everyday alienation of what it is what it's like to work at a factory (laughs) to be yeah to be a bit repetitive but again that that is the in the the way in which it's written i think is you know often described as you know a very spare and austere type of uh uh, poetry bordering on prose where you know Mm -hmm. it's just you know you know i i drove to work on the i went to work on the bus i saw someone i usually see on the bus i saw a woman you know clocking us all in and then i sat at the then i sat on the line where i always sit and saw the things i always saw and you know see the things i always see and like you know that that kind of everyday you know everyday violence you know she describes you know just you know what it means to like maybe get an illness or just not be feeling well or just not you know again just being alienated from what you're doing and that goes kind of everyday violences just generally aren't the the subject of of poetry and you know like when i look at a book like excess the factory it's like yeah this this is this is the world that needs to exist for you know fascism to to have have a chance to thrive effectively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that... it reminds me of um re- uh, recently i've been watching a lot of uh agnes varda's uh work oh uh, hell yeah yeah um man she's so fucking great she's um, so good <laughs> she's so good but um i just so just yesterday actually i saw i saw her last movie um oh, was and that, um, faces places uh, Varda by Agnes. Um, uh, I haven't seen that one, but what, so yeah, what, what it's were you like saying? it's just um, it's it's super recent, um, and it's very much like it's very much kind of just a, a sort of looking back at at all the work that she's done. Um, but one of the things that she said that like I I really really connected with is like nothing is um, like mundane or banal if you like place uh, empathy and like attention on it. Right, which is something that I think that her work is really, really uh, great at is like really genuinely paying attention to like the small uh, moments of everyday life, like that people live, right, and the way that that is then connected to all these like larger ideas that we do think are worthy of of like art or you know poetry, but like um, yeah, just just being able to place like attention. And the same kind of attention that we place to, like, you know, large things, placing that on the everydayness of people's lives, like real people's lives, and understanding how that 
is informed by like so many other things. Um, but like, yeah, there's this great, there's this great moment in the documentary when she's like, you know, we were, we were making this movie uh, and we would just go around at night in like Los Angeles and just like film like little scenes and then figure out what to do with them in the movie. And at one point we were like outside a laundromat and uh, looked inside and saw a woman just playing with her hair for like a long time. Right. And she said it was this like incredible moment of just solitary sensuality. Um, and to, and I, it was in the, when I was watching it, I was like, really just struck by the kind of attention and curiosity it would take to like see a person and understand that as like something worth documenting and something worth just sitting with for a little while like just and i think that that too that that's something that's happening in like um in the bits of that that leslie leslie kaplan book that you've you've sent to me um is to say like all of these these moments uh are as important as as like other people's moments or as other moments in our lives is like the moment that you're clocking in and working at the factory is is like part of a life right and like informed by um so many things that that make you a person um and placing attention on those things and like like a genuine really curious attention i think can lead us to moments like the end of that that poem the now what right by Sulma sharif right because that that too is like a placing of attention on this seemingly like mundane moment and by doing that we we can get to like um the end of that poem yeah and i think you know getting back to how these uh, this these types of poems aren't considered you know poems in quotes uh like that's one of the main sort of uh, uh, issues uh, Rukeyser takes up in the life of poetry. Like she has a, just a whole sort of theory and take on like why, what, what is, what is with the fear of poetry and like, especially American society. And she writes something like, you know, what is the fear of poetry to a great extent, uh, to a great extent, it is a fear produced by a mask by the pr protective structure society builds around each conflict. The conflict here is a neurotic one, a false conflict based on, a supposed antithesis of fact and relationship of inner and outer effectiveness. It is a conflict upheld by the great part of organized society. And like, I guess one way to, to interpret that is, uh, did I, did I read the whole quote? Sorry. Yeah, you did. You, you said, uh, one way to interpret that and then cut off. Oh, hell yeah. That's <laughs> very on brand. Yeah. Um, but I guess one way to interpret that is, uh, you know, that, that there is like a built in, sort of dead like defense against any kind of poetry that seeks to do what you know these several books of poems we're talking about are doing yeah absolutely um yeah it makes me think of uh oscar the grouch a little bit um to to, to bring it back to um <laughs> a, a common concern of Go mine on. well uh oscar the grouch has this song uh called uh, i love trash and um i think it's incredible uh and like a super radical thing that to be on a children's like program um but so he just like you know the the characters are like uh, like what's in your fucking trash can house oscar and he's like just cataloging the like cast off useless things that he's like gathered 
and uh, just saying that like he loves them, um, and not because they're like not because like oh I can like turn this into something useful, but just like because he loves them, um, and I think that so the, the connection for me there is that like um, that to me is a is like a form of poetics I'm really interested in is like something that that is really devoted to um, things that have been cast off, right? Things that are considered like not useful uh, or not meaningful um, or they have outlived their use, right? Or like they, um, you know, they, they are broken in some way. Uh, and then like just placing attention and care back onto them, right? It's something that, that I mean, another one of uh, Agnes Varda's documentaries is um, The Gleaners and I, which is very much like in in that vein too about people who um uh, uh, scavenge leftover food in order to survive um who like you know go to where they dump tons and tons of like perfectly good potatoes that aren't like sellable right and they and Cause they're uh, ugly. These, yeah because they're ugly right uh, or they're like slightly too big right but that's like life-giving to someone right i mean that's a that's a lot of food um and uh, I think that that is an attitude that we can take into our poetics um, and our poetry. And I, I think that's something that Look does especially well, right? Is take like things that, and, and people and stories that like um, a dominant narrative has said, like, these are not important, right? We don't need to uh, uh, hear anything about like the 45,000 casualties, right? Because all we need to know is the number. Um, and to then like write towards them like that last section, right? And say like if we um, place like a really uh, significant amount of attention and like uh, 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 care upon like this person, right? We understand um, the system that killed them or the system that like marginalized them a whole lot better. Um, so that's a bit of wisdom that I I take from Oscar the Grouch. Um, because trash, <laughs> trash is cool. Like cast off things and like useless things, uh, I think are are really cool. Well, you know, as a the cancelled Marxist, uh, well, Marxist in air quotes, uh, philosopher Zizek once said, "We are all eating out of the trash <laughs> can, the trash can of ideology." <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, many, many apologies for quoting him on the podcast. I' not a fan, but that is, of course, a legendary gif. We can steal that uh, that that line from him though we'll just go ahead and and take it back well it's just in the trash so yeah i think we can take it <laughs> yeah well that, that like well, for, well i also got to say like to people if you haven't seen especially varda's film the gleaners like you really gotta you really gotta watch that yeah and the other one i watched recently too is vagabond have you seen vagabond that is one i that is one of the ones i haven't seen it's it's absolutely like worth seeing um it i think that what that movie is um, is like doing uh, and thinking about in terms of just like uh, um, it's funny too because it, it it's connected for me to like a little while ago there was like a lot of discussion um, uh, in poetry Twitter about like laziness right um, and the way that 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 idea is like very much wrapped up in in capitalist expectations of of like labor and work and productiveness. And I think that um, Vagabond, uh, that movie, is like has a really, really clear and like incredible 
uh, exploration of a right to just not work, <laughs> like a right to um, exist outside of like capitalism um, and what it would require of uh, us in order to care for people who who live like that. And like, yeah, I was like, that movie's fucking <laughs> really good. Have you, have you seen um, Mirror Mirrors? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so that's that's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> We're down yeah. doing the, the Agnes Varda. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <of Agnes. laughs> we can we can do that too, though. Yeah, well, real quick, uh, Mirror Mirrors is about. Um, so Varda was in California in the I want to say the late seventies. There's there's a series of films that are like the, all of which are very good, um, like Uncle Yanko, um, the one about the Black Panthers. Uh-huh. Which even if you haven't, just yeah. people listening, if you don't know who we're, like, Agnes Varda, you've probably seen this because it's on YouTube and gets shared all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then another one, which was it's this is a full length one, Mirror Mirrors, which is about um, the the murals and the graffiti in late seventies yeah. Los Angeles, right? And, and it's it's incredible because you know, of course, most of these murals don't exist anymore. But she was in Los Angeles then, and she took a lot, like a lot of footage of them, and just seeing, you know, that that kind of art, just like well, first off, it, you know, the theme that returns frequently on this podcast is how ephemeral most art is. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, seeing all those murals and realizing that most of them, however however beautiful they were, are now gone because of, you know, gentrification and all the other violences of capitalism. And yeah, that's that's just one of my, you know, absolutely favorite Varda documentaries for sure. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, she's, she's great. Um, that's been like really, uh, a really like fun and um honestly just like very joyful thing i've been doing over the past couple of months is just like getting into her work um, oh it's so it's so good <laughs> yeah i mean and it, it is just like it's like i mean she's such a playful person too like such a playful presence which is yeah, really useful to been, me we've just been talking about like serious stuff but it, all her all her poems well i guess we could call them poems all her doc all her films are like extremely playful and funny yeah I mean, in Gleaners, like, one of my favorite parts is she's just, like, um, you know, I, I found this, uh, this like, uh, family that was, like, singing and, and uh, like, harvesting from, like, a, an abandoned wine uh, uh, vineyard. And, uh, and then she's, like, and then, like, for a while I forgot to, like, turn the camera off uh, while it was just, like, attached to me. So we get the dance of the lens cap. And she just, like, for, like, a minute just has music over this footage of, like, a bouncing lens cap. Um, which I love because it's very, it's like, it's like, um, number one, it's just like, like delightful, but also because it's like the same, it's like that Oscar, the grouch thing, you know, it's like any, so many people would like see that bit of footage and be like, oh, well, like that is not useful footage. Like I'll just cut it out. But instead, like she takes it and, and like gives it like a centerpiece, like gives it a soundtrack, which I think is like incredible um and very much in in like that that zone of uh creating where you could like look at something that is like not useful like that has like no utility right and no like productiveness and say like i i want to like i want people to like look at this and enjoy it and like like have a relationship with it um and also it's yeah it's just like so fun is there is there any like poets you can think of that now that we're a bit off the rails, like, is there any poets you can think of that like have that same kind of playfulness that that Varda does? Yeah, um, I mean, it's something I find in. I mean, we last time we talked about Frank O'Hara, um, but that's something oh, that that's I good... I really appreciate about his stuff too. Um, 
but like um, Chen Chen, uh, it kind of does this in a lot of a lot of his poetry. Like it's very much um, like thinking about finding um, those like little moments of playfulness and joy in all of his poems. Um, yeah, let me think. Uh, yeah, now I'm just looking at all my just going yeah. through my shelves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Ross Gay kind of does that too. Um, like Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude is is a like a collection that I think is is all in that mode, right? Of just like like the the kind of delight that can come from just paying attention to like all these small moments. Um, like there's a really incredible poem in that collection that's just like uh, describing him like walking down the street and like finding a bunch of people like harvesting figs from like a, a ripe fig tree and it's this long uh poem that's just placing like attention and uh like finding delight in like this very specific mundane like action of people just being together and like doing something collectively um so yeah those those are moments that like definitely uh i really really love in poetry too is like when when not just when language is like delightful in some way, but but when it is because of like um, because you're using poetry to describe something that like isn't usually described in poetry, because you're like placing you know uh, attention and and like the delight of linguistic play onto like just a random you know seemingly not important moment. Yeah, and just to an- just to answer my own question, I was just like looking around. I think. Maybe Cecilia Vicuña, the Chilean poet, is a good yeah. example. <clears throat> and maybe uh, Harriet Mullen, at times, for sure, gets into that yeah. same kind of mode. Yeah, just <laughs> I just had to think about some answers to that one. <laughs> no, yeah, Vicuña's amazing, too. Um, yeah. Especially her performance stuff. Her performance work, I think, is, like, so, so great. Yeah, she's one of those poets who, like, um, does kind of, like, uh, kind of art object type poems, and then also, you know, the performance side, which is... You know, I think really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something I really appreciate too, because I think like I wish I wish more poets had um were like like exposed to performance as a tool in the way that she uses it, as opposed because I think like um I think often anytime you think of performance in relationship to poetry, like the only thing you think of is like slam or spoken word. Um, which I think is is like useful and valuable. But um, I just wish that, like, more poets were, uh, like, I don't know, gave themselves permission to just explore other ways of performance in relationship to their own words. Because I think, like, um, that it, it, it can, like, reveal so much and, like, add so much to what that poetry, like, does, you know, when people, like, engage with it. Yeah, and I mean, like, I guess a good question to ask about this is, I, I think both of us think, like, this kind of play in poetry is like super important but you know we, we coming off coming off the very serious like discussion we just had like you know how can that like kind of combine with some of what we were just talking about with this centering around Solmaz's work yeah i mean i think that there's um i think that it's real i think that it's like um kind of part of of a larger project of poetry right i mean i think that in order to um in order to like find the room and space for that playfulness, we need a, a book like Look, right? And I think that um, 
part of uh, part of the the violence and confinement that like the state language and look uh, does is to like remove the air uh, and the room in in us for that playfulness, right? I, I mean, too, like in that Kaplan book, right? Just uh, understanding the dailiness of and and how much it like drains you, right? To just be in this system through the day. Um, it takes away like the 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 room and like energy I think for that play sometimes. Um, so, but like in um, a theory of birds too, there's like there's lots of really great moments of play and delight like that. Like there's um, there's this really incredible visual poem um, towards the end that's this sort of like a uh, a Venn diagram type poem. Um, and uh it's it's like it's really great right and and the last poem in the book too is is just called now let's brainstorm exclamation point uh what to call ourselves after the empire's fall uh and it's just sort of like a catalog of of possible names right but like um yeah i don't know i think i think sometimes too the way that the same way that some that sometimes poetry gets talked about as like inherently revolutionary i think play does too right like i think a lot of a lot of people then say that like well being um being playful or or finding like pleasure and delight is itself like inherently revolutionary and i don't really know that it is right but i think it's it's part of the project that um that i think poetry canon should be working towards is i think that like look needs to exist alongside like the playfulness of some of the things we've been talking about right and that they're they're working together towards things but like one needs the other if that makes sense no i know exactly what what you're talking about and i think one thing to keep in mind too that i always like to keep in mind about the this larger kind of poetry scene is like you know we're we're like we don't we're not trying to there's not like singular intellectual like you know geniuses we're trying that's not like the goal i think of yeah what i'm trying to do and you know all this stuff like you might not be the well i'm not saying you fargo but like generally speaking, <laughs> you you might not be the play poet but you know someone someone you're writing with certainly is or you might not be you know what solman sharif does but someone certainly is in this in this kind of broader movement yeah and also like that um that it's it's something that it's like a tool right i mean it's it's a it's a it's something that we all have access to right you know i might write a poem uh one day that is that is very much working at like a very you know quote unquote like serious or or um uh not necessarily playful like project but then the next day i might write um one that is or you know i think that it can exist in poems at the same time too right um like uh and that because uh, I think there are like there are small moments of play or delight in in um, in look right or in yeah a I definitely, of birds I definitely yeah. want to say I remember laughing during a so much yeah um, in it's for me it's like um, there's that poem Dear Intelligence Journal uh, what what page it, it's on uh, eighteen right but like that that poem uh, is very much like it's really just like fucking with the dictionary language in a, in a, like a, I don't know, like, like a making fun of way, which I think is, is like, it made me laugh when I read it. And this, the other one that did is kind of, um, inspiration point Berkeley. 
right? Which, which, which starts with consider Kissinger, the honorary globetrotter of Harlem who spins on fingertip the world as a balloon, the buffoon erected and be placked here by the Rotary Club as evergreen, and in this peace grove planted alongside Waldheim and Nixon, Bush, Herbert Walker, and Mother Teresa, one Pope, one Dalai Lama, one Dr. King, right? Like, this is very, that, that poem too, uh, Inspiration Point Berkeley, is like, like, um, doing kind of that, that work of like play as critique, right? Play as like a means of pointing out how fucking evil and stupid, like, these structures are. Yeah, that uh, inspiration point Berkeley was the one I was the one I was thinking of when I said I definitely laughed during like reading this collection. Yeah, at some point. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I can't wait for Kissinger to die. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, I think I'm so really excited for the celebratory poems that happen when Kissinger dies. Like, that's gonna be that's gonna be some kind of like like party the online party that we have where we all just like fucking join some collective live stream and just read poems about it. Oh, it was so fun when Margaret Thatcher died. <laughs> oh, what a great day. No, um... <laughs> uh, is, there, is there anything else I want to talk about? Let me think. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we, like, got to... We got to a lot of what we wanted to talk about. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think so. Well, let me ask you this. Is there a poem you want to go out on? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, yes. Yes, there is. All right, uh, let's do it. <laughs> from um, from uh, the Zayn Al-Sus book, uh, the, that like, first one I sent you, I think, Cinematography. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Okay. Though I sell the rent of my body daily, I still struggle with legibility and abstract labor. Blue-gray charcoal lines trace innominate bone, nipples with steel bars, a mere detail, a perk of a $30 figure-drawing class. I am paid hourly to pose, moderating the distance between art and product. Maybe this is what Marx means by surplus value, which does not explain the sensation of watching my geometry against the page, a swell, a record. Even Marx could not categorize every exertion. Chopin's piano notes, fragrant noise, salt-wet laughter, what about yellow or the color of orgasm, non-productive conduits of else, the space between price and lavender? On my browser, an article about lost cinemas, two bulldozed in the West Bank in less than a year, in the demolished projection room of Al-Asi, live remnants of yellow frames. Marx and this poem fail to fully explain the action of workers watching film alive under occupation. Poetry and film survive as incomplete forms of description, a vaccine of distance. To locate a self in study is to chase an orchestra of the dead, the summoning music often too faint, too far away, to tend to the tensions of work and scene. Ugh. Thank, thank you for reading. It's so fucking good. Well, well, thank you for coming on again and uh, suggesting some of these poems to read. Yeah, hell yeah. I think this was, this was like such a fun conversation yeah um, i definitely got to do more of these yeah yeah and uh uh definitely again if you want to get me to perform a solo show at you or your city or your house or your institution um contact me 
Yeah, if you want three quarters of a ton of dirt in your living room. <laughs> yeah, you know we can make that happen. <laughs> yeah, well, thank, okay. you, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. Yeah, of course.